0: Welcome to Podship Perth. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld.
1: Bet you're going fishing all of the time, baby, going
0: fishing too. This week, I go in search of salmon in the Pacific on board the fishing boat Tuna Palooza with fishermen Mark Gurulik and John McManus. Salmon face incredible odds traveling from their inland birthplace to the open ocean where they mature for several years before making the perilous journey back home to spawn at the end of their lives. The salmon we're looking for have a life cycle that's been shaped for millennia by California's rivers. Healthy rivers determine when the fish spawn, when their eggs hatch, how fast their young grow, and how many survive their migration to the ocean. These amazing fish are the apex predator of California's rivers. Like the wolf and the grizzly, if salmon runs are healthy, it tells you a great deal about the health of the ecosystem they rely on. Dams, agriculture, and politics are all major threats to this iconic fish. The majority of California's Chinook salmon originate in the Sacramento River and its tributaries. More than 70% of their original spawning habitat in central California has been destroyed. Dams did the most damage, drying up riverbeds and cutting off access to mountain spawning streams. On the Tuolumne River, which starts in Yosemite National Park and supplies water to San Francisco, an average of 80% of natural flows are diverted in the key spring months. Salmon need water and they need it to be cold. Fifty years ago, salmon in California's Central Valley rivers alone numbered in the millions. In 2008, scientists counted only 66,000 returning adult salmons in the Sacramento River, and for the first time, officials cancelled all ocean salmon fishing off California and most of Oregon. With drought for the last six years, salmon numbers are still extremely low. After shrimp and canned tuna, salmon is the third most popular seafood in the United States. About 600 million pounds are consumed annually. California fishermen bring in just a fraction of this total, about 5 million pounds of salmon in a good year, which we haven't seen in many years. The vast majority of salmon in grocery stores come from fish farms in the Atlantic. At the dock, I meet John McManus, who is a fisherman and the president of the Golden Gate Salmon Association, which is a coalition of salmon advocates that includes commercial and recreational salmon fishermen, businesses, restaurants, tribes, environmentalists, elected officials, families, and communities that rely on salmon. The captain is Mark Gorelick, who is the chair of the Coastside Fishing Club, a community of recreational fishermen. Mark's also the vice chair of the Pacific Fishery Management Council, which sets fishing quotas along the West Coast for 119 species of fish, including salmon, groundfish like halibut, coastal pelagic species like sardines, and highly migratory species like tuna and swordfish. As you can hear, we're already underway. Mark, where are we going today?
2: Uh, we are going uh, up the coast to a place called Duxbury Reef, which is off of Bolinas, California. So, John, why are we going to Duxbury
0: Reef?
1: We're going to intercept one of the greatest migrations on the west coast of North America that happens every year. When the southernmost population of king salmon, return to the Central Valley where they were born to spawn, reproduce, they will die, their carcasses will fertilize the Central Valley, their offspring will come out next spring, and then we'll see them come back three years later. And it's a cycle of nature uh, that's really a wondrous thing if you live in Northern California. John, when did you start salmon fishing in these waters? I didn't actually start fishing salmon out here until the mid-90s when I bought a boat. Uh, prior to that I had been a commercial fisherman in Alaska And we'd use quarter-mile long pursanes to catch them in mass Coming out here with a hook and line was a whole other experience But salmon's a great food and it's not only a great food um, It actually creates community you bring a big salmon home It's way more than a single family can eat you start sharing with neighbors and friends and pretty soon You're a local hero if you get a really big fish and you share with greater than just your city block, it's possible you can achieve legend status. Now, that's a level up from hero status. What kind of boat are we in? Uh,
2: this is a 25-foot powerboat, uh, diesel-powered, manufactured by Davis Boats of Paso Robles, California.
0: How long have you had it?
2: Uh, I've had this boat since August of 2006, and uh, it has fished salmon every year uh, except for the closures of 2008 and 2009 So why were the fisheries closed in those years? The fisheries were closed because the population of Sacramento Fall Chinook collapsed uh, down to uh, roughly 40,000 adults uh... and so the fishery managers decided it was not worth the risk, could not afford to lose any fish into the fishery harvest, so The seasons were closed. They were also highly restricted uh, for years past that. And we're in a restricted year this year because of a a lack of abundance of fish. There's the steelhead, there's the chinook,
0: there's the king salmon. Like, explain, there's all these different names. Are they different things or are they the same thing?
2: Well, king and chinook salmon are the same. Uh, For some reason, salmon have different names depending upon what's used in the local area. The same is true of coho salmon which are also referred to as silver salmon. These are the two species of salmon we see here in California. Uh, The coho salmon is listed as endangered and therefore there's no retention of silver salmon or coho salmon in California. Uh, We are allowed however to retain uh, Chinook salmon.
0: So that's what we're going after today.
1: That's correct. Mark is an actual voting member of the Pacific Fisheries Management Council. So he's involved in making the decisions as to how the seasons are set, how much time and area we're allowed to fish in order to make sure we protect the stocks.
2: So how long have you been on the council, Mark? Uh, I'm beginning my third year on the council and I now also serve as vice chair of the council.
0: So do scientists come before you each year and and kind of lay out the evidence and you know do they give you kind of a range of caution like if we want to be super you know cautious take this path if you know how how do they make how do they help you make your decisions
2: well the council has what's referred to as the salmon technical team the members of the salmon technical team are biologists from washington oregon and california departments of fish and wildlife every year they calculate, they forecast the abundance of the various stocks of salmon along the coast, and based on that abundance, uh, uh, an, an allowable harvest figure is reached, and then the seasons are crafted around the allowable harvest. This year, for example, the allowable harvest was in the neighborhood of uh, approximately 80,000 fish, and that is must be shared between the sport fishery, both inland and on the ocean, Uh, and the commercial fishery uh, in California, Oregon, and Washington. John was talking at the beginning about
0: how they spawn in the rivers along the
2: coast, the coastal rivers in California, Oregon, and Washington. They look at those rivers to count the number of returning fish in order to determine uh, empirically the following year's abundance. There is a, a fishery management plan um, that requires uh, at least 122,000 Sacramento fall Chinook to return to the river, and the that the stock has failed to reach that objective for three consecutive years. So now, uh, according to the fishery management plan, we need to develop a rebuilding plan. The rebuilding plan will address not only harvest issues over which the council has. Uh, control, but it will also address environmental conditions, the lack of water or the temperature of water. Uh, These fish require cold water to spawn and for the spawn to survive, and they require uh, sufficient outflows for the small baby fish to escape uh, the rivers and back into the ocean. And during the drought, uh, for several consecutive years, we failed to have either proper temperature or proper flows or both. And that is why uh, the forecast stock abundance this year of the Sacramento Fall Chinook is only 230,000 fish. Whereas it should be, I would think in proper environmental conditions, over a million fish.
1: We're off Muir Beach right now. There's an anchovy live bait boat in there. He's a pursliner and he's looking to purslane up big schools of anchovies to take them in and sell them as bait. I just want to mark that as we go by. Is
0: there any correlation between anchovy populations and salmon?
1: The
2: anchovies and sardines and krill and squid are all the forage that the salmon need in the ocean. Uh, in times of good ocean conditions, you have abundance of one or more of those stocks and the salmon fare well. And back in 2014 and 15 and maybe 16, uh we did not see a lot of of those forage fish out here that population is on the rebound and uh, while it's been a rather windy year it's been not been so good for being on, on a boat on the ocean those northwest winds and the upwelling that results is what really gets the food chain supercharged and i think we're in for a good year in terms of forage fish and that's good for salmon mark of salmon in the
0: sacramento Does it sounds like even if this is a good year, the trend is still worrying.
2: Well, the trend is worrying because the problems we're seeing inland uh, and uh, there, there are solutions that are known, but there are forces, political forces, that resist those solutions and the solutions largely res- revolve around the flow of water. Um, you know, a- as has been said in the West, uh, whiskeys for drinking and waters for fighting over, And the large and successful agricultural industry in California has uh, a rather healthy thirst for water. If if one drives uh, through the state, uh, you regularly see thousands of acres of newly planted permanent crops. Well, those almond trees uh, can't live on air alone. They they need water. Uh, But salmon need water too, so the demands by the agricultural industry have increased. And because uh, they seem to have greater political sway, uh, you know, we're not seeing enough water. We're not seeing enough protection of salmon. Uh, And that's why we've seen the the depressed numbers in large part. Now the drought would have reduced the abundance in any event, but water policies have really aggravated that uh, to the point where where we've seen the last few years relatively low abundances of salmon returning to the valley big ag seems to
0: to not be that friendly towards fish. Why is that?
1: Not all ag is equal. Our biggest problem has to do with moving massive volumes of water that originate in Northern California to the Western San Joaquin Desert. And I'm talking about the San Joaquin Valley west of I-5 which as I understand it, on average, gets less than eight inches of rainfall a year, which qualifies it as a desert. I guess back in the um, 60s, people who owned land down there, or speculated on land, succeeded in um, convincing politicians at that time to uh, build a pipe into the Central Valley Water Project, which is the federal water project and they were able to start diverting water into the Western San Joaquin Valley. And um, they've been taking water ever since. It was granted with the original understanding that they would take water in times of surplus. So in really wet years, they could plant an annual crop like tomatoes or cotton, get water and make some money In dry years, they would simply fallow their land. That was the original idea and what was, I think, presented to the public at the time when this system was set up. More recently, they've torn out the tomatoes and the cotton and they've replaced it with almonds. Almonds want a gallon of water for every single nut produced. That's a lot of water. It's a tremendous amount of water where is it going to come from? It's going to come from the part of the state that has water, which is the northern part, which was a salmon stronghold originally. But actually there are quite a few salmon historically in the San Joaquin system too, but they were basically killed off for the most part with the construction of the Friant Dam back in the 1940s. Most
0: of the almonds aren't consumed even in the United States. A lot of these almonds are exported around the world to China and Japan and Korea and Like, so we're not growing the almonds for us.
1: We're basically taking California water that historically raised really rich, nutritious salmon crops that fertilize the entire Central Valley. We're converting that water into almonds and putting it on giant containerized cargo ships in the Port of Oakland, shipping it to China and the other places you mentioned. The wealth that accrues from that, basically ends up in the hands of a very few very uh, big growers. So we're seeing a massive transfer of natural wealth of this state from the north to a handful of people who by and large live in gated communities in the city of Fresno. So when you go to a
0: supermarket, the salmon's coming from pens in Scotland, in Canada and Alaska in Norway. I mean, we're now growing salmon in these crazy pens, feeding them full of antibiotics and all kinds of crap. I'm like, what is the difference between wild salmon and farm salmon?
1: You know, one thing I would say to any consumer is look at the label in the supermarkets because the farm salmon will have a color-added notice on the label and uh, that's pretty important to see. What you need to know about buying farmed salmon is uh, there's a tremendous amount of pollution that's generated with raising these fish and it's basically externalized. That is, the the salmon farmers don't capture that pollution and pay the cost to treat it. They dump it into the environment where it harms wild salmon and other wildlife. So is
0: there a label or something that people can just get? How would they know that it's wild caught?
1: It will not have the color added on it. And actually, almost every place that sells wild-caught makes a, a, a point to put a label saying it's wild-caught, because people know that's really what you want. It's chemical-free, it's raised in nature, sustainably raised, it's a far superior product, tastes way better, it's better for you.
0: And I'm a salmon addict. I love salmon. Wild salmon is anywhere from 22 to $24 a pound. It's not inexpensive.
1: Yeah, it would be really good if um, wild king salmon were cheaper. I will say this, there's a large production of wild sockeye salmon and wild coho salmon out of Alaska. And you'll see that product end up in Trader Joe's and Costco. And that's really good stuff, and that's more in the $9 a pound range. So there is some pretty good wild salmon that's available. It is true though that king salmon, which is the best flavor, best tasting is pretty expensive stuff. Unless you're lucky and you get it at the peak of the season when there's quite a bit that comes on the market and the price will drop for a few weeks.
0: It does seem like more and more people for health reasons eating wild salmon though.
1: Captain Jackie Douglas who runs the Wacky Jackie charter fishing boat out of San Francisco is turning 90 in September. She's still running the boat. She claims that she's able to run the boat and has strength and energy because she's been eating salmon all of her life.
0: So John, you run the Golden Gate Salmon Association. I do. Tell us about that.
1: Our mission basically is to restore stocks of salmon in California's Central Valley. The reason why is the vast majority of the fish that are out here off the California coast originate in the Central Valley. By and large, the ocean's doing its part still to support those salmon runs. Um, The problem is uh, freshwater habitat that Mark mentioned earlier in the Central Valley. So what you see is a couple of years after we get really wet winters, like in 2017 especially, you're gonna get a good return of salmon. What ends up happening is Mother Nature basically overwhelms the negative effects of um, our damming and diverting of water in the Central Valley and we get a temporary reprieve And a near, um, well, we get reminded of what natural conditions could look like when we get a whole bunch of water. And we see a a reflection two years later out in the ocean with big peaks, big jumps in salmon numbers. And it's really all about freshwater runoff and flow in the Central Valley.
0: When you go to Sacramento or go in, you know, to our nation's capital and, and talk to people like Secretary Zinke, are they sympathetic of the Sacramento legislators? Do they understand the importance of what you're talking about? Or?
1: Well, Zinke is clearly uh, beholden to um, his supporters who come f- from the western San Joaquin Valley. So That's, that's shocking. <laughs> newsflash. <laughs> so all of his actions appear geared towards moving uh, the remainder of California, northern California's water, down to... Uh, The small handful of growers who operate in the western San Joaquin Valley, that's um, basically where the support for the administration right now comes from. This is corruption, pretty blatant. Um, Anybody who's been watching closely can see exactly what's happening here. We've got a lot of good legislators here in California uh, who also see what's going on and they're not
0: happy with it. In the water column on the depth gauge there, we're at 71 feet, what's the the red
1: uh,
2: this is bait, more than likely anchovies that we're seeing on the fish finder. Uh, we're going very quickly over them since we're running at about 20 knots, uh, but uh, you get a much much better view when we slow down to the trolling speed, which is about two and a half knots. Uh, we'll get a much clearer view of the bait uh, beneath us. We are uh, off of Bellinas. Uh, we have uh, Bellinas Bay, uh, which is most people probably would uh, recognize the name stinson beach and the, the the village of balinas yes that's where we are
0: stinson beach is kind of like the malibu of northern california uh it is a bit
2: i uh i don't travel in that crowd so i don't know much about it
0: it's like a gated community called sea drift and each house is like 20 million dollars and yeah
1: we have secrets coming up
0: <laughs> i don't think there's a large overlap between pod chip earth listeners and people with boats that go salmon fishing off Duxbury Point. But maybe there is.
2: Well, so I I will spill the beans here. Uh, First of all, every day is different. So what worked yesterday may not work today. But I can tell you we're going to start in in roughly uh, 60 feet of water and we're going to put our baits down approximately 20 feet. And then we'll go from there.
0: What kind of bait are we using today?
2: We're using uh, frozen anchovies.
0: Okay, there's a lot of anchovies in the water or something on the fish finder, a large column there, yeah.
2: Yeah, you know, and you, uh, as, they, as fly fishermen say, you need to match the hatch, so you want to use the same kind of bait that the uh, salmon are naturally feeding on. And right now they're naturally feeding on anchovies in the, in the water, so we're going to um, use anchovies as bait.
1: There's a rock-sand interface. We're going to be near an edge and um, we might find some salmon hanging around that edge where the rock reef turns into sand bottom.
0: Like every time I come out here, I feel like a little kid, I get so excited. Do you still get excited all these years into it?
1: You know, I think we've got the hunter gatherer thing program hardwired into our DNA. And uh, there's an element of that in fishing.
0: Why else would grown men get up at five in the morning?
1: to get food for the family.
0: Exactly. My family's relying on me. So how many boats are around us right now, John?
1: There's probably 50 boats around us. They range in value anywhere from about a $20,000 boat up to about a $300,000 boat. And on some of these bigger boats, the party boats, there's probably 20 paying passengers right now. So there's quite a bit of economic activity right around us right this minute.
0: It's good that you see it as economic activity. I just see it as competition.
1: <laughs> okay. Give me but, just a second.
2: Just so you know, this is a really bad place to stand because I need to run in and out. So.
0: That's exactly where I was standing, of so course.
1: And you'll notice there's quite an assortment of colors. It's like uh, these fish have a thing for disco or something. I don't know, but they like this colorful stuff.
0: So you put those and the light... Live- Not live bait, but frozen anchovies, both of them go on?
1: Yeah, Uh, i got to make up some anchovy baits here. I had two frozen ones, um, so give me just a sec (laughs) to get some gear out.
0: So, Mark, did you just deploy those?
2: Yeah, these are drag chutes. Unfortunately, this boat... Uh, The diesel motor trolls a little bit too fast at idle, so these drag chutes slow us down to about, you know, two and a half knots. Okay, I just got a bite. That's awesome.
0: Oh, wow. It's it's incredible. It's like a 20-pound salmon. That is so cool. Okay, we're going to put the fish on ice, turn off the engine, and just float. A lot of birds around us.
1: Yeah, the birds have figured out there's a big school of anchovies here, that's a uh, male common myrrh. He's calling out to his chick, the fathers take care of the chicks here, they got separated somehow in the midst of all this feeding frenzy. So you'll hear the birds talking to each other trying to get located again.
0: So we're here, beautiful stunning day, very very peaceful. Like I have a question. So do you, do, do sport, as a sport fisherman, do you feel like you're also an environmentalist?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, the fishermen I know are the most concerned about the resource and the most active in preserving the resource and making sure that the habitat for the salmon is preserved and restored. I mean, we had 150 years to tear the Central Valley to pieces Uh, Putting up dikes and levees everywhere and rerouting the river and putting in gigantic boulders along the riverbanks. And so now is the time to uh, put some of it back the way it was. Most of our members actually spend a tremendous amount of time outdoors and they see this with their own eyes. They're really close to it. They see how the natural systems work. They see the animals and the birds and they see the different seasons in California. They live close to the elements so they're very well aware.
0: It seems like that we've kind of lost touch with the land, the ocean, the nature that we're protecting. But fishermen, like just spending the day out here today, kind of reconnects you to, to what we're here to save.
1: I can't stress enough the uh, value of buying a boat. In fact, we ought to move our office out here. We could just float around out here in an octopus's garden. I'd like to be under the sea in
2: an octopus's garden, in the shade, He'd let us in. Well, you know, throughout human history, uh, except uh, since the Industrial Revolution, it was, you know, the human contact with nature uh, was required. It was always there. And as we've become increasingly urbanized and more technological, uh, we've become more remote from the natural environment. And I think that uh, being out here on the water in the wild... Uh, or going uh, backpacking in the mountains, uh, reconnects you with that natural environment. Um, you know, fishermen have been conservationists for a long, long time, long before uh, Rachel Carson, Silent Spring, and the modern environmental movement. It's really at our core. Uh, I like to s- remind people that most recreational fishermen are not terribly adept, and so we need an abundant and healthy resource for us to enjoy our pastime. That's great. I like that. Yeah. Someone's coming to the West Coast. How
0: do they, how do they find a good fishing boat to go out on as recreational fishers?
2: There are uh, a number of commercial party boats, they're called, uh, that will take, you buy a ticket and you go on. It's an open party boat. Uh, these boats are in the port of Sausalito, Berkeley, Emeryville, San Francisco at Fisherman's Wharf, and search for salmon fishing in San Francisco, they'll get plenty of alternatives.
0: And uh, talk about the economics, like how how big a deal
2: is this fishery? Recreational fishing in the United States is a multi-billion dollar um, uh, business, if you will, because while we think of it in terms of recreation, it, it generates a lot of revenue for businesses. Uh, and there's a lot of economic multiplication as it, as it ripples through. So there's boats, there's fuel, there's food, there's bait, there's tackle. Uh, it goes on and on. And I think that the federal government is increasingly recognizing the economic significance of the sport fishing industry. Um, com- commercial fishing is also very important. But uh, these days, sport fishing industry in the United States is economically uh, more significant than the domestic uh, production of, of seafood in the commercial fishing fleet uh, and actually much of our fish that we see in the market and especially shellfish is a f- foreign source
0: when you look at surveys of people and sport like the number one sport in the united states is fishing
2: you know it's something that's uh... accessible to most most everyone most of us live uh... if we're not near the ocean we're in our lake or a river uh... and it's something that, especially as kids can get you can get equipped for it for uh, probably mere dollars, um, and it's something I think all of us grew up, you know, doing something very simple—fishing at a trout pond or off a pier on the coast. That's certainly what I did growing up in the in Southern California, fishing off Santa Monica Pier or Malibu Pier. Um, it, was a, it was a simple pastime; it sort of kept you out of trouble. Cool.
0: Let's get underway. Thanks to John McManus and Mark Gorelnik for taking me fishing and educating us about the fight to protect California salmon. I returned home, filleted the fish, lit the barbecue and managed to feed 28 happy artists and have enough left over for a delicious salmon salad. It was without a doubt the best salmon I've tasted in years. And just like John predicted, I was a local hero. The state of California is getting ready to set standards of how much water is needed to protect salmon within specific river systems. This week, farmers and cities are angry with a proposal that they'll only be able to take 60% of all the water flowing in the San Joaquin River during the spring months. They want to be able to take a lot more so that they can continue to ship almonds to China and use drinking water to flush toilets. Salmon fishermen and the fishing economy depend on healthy rivers for their livelihoods. A decade ago, the salmon industry was worth $1.4 billion a year and 23,000 jobs a restored fishery would be worth far more. We need to band together to fight for salmon restoration because if the salmon go, we won't be far behind them. Next week, I attempt to bike the 77 miles around Lake Tahoe and on the route seek to discover how community groups are keeping this unique alpine deepwater lake so clear. Please like PodShip Earth on Facebook. Thank you so much for being part of the PodShip Earth journey from the entire PodShip Earth crew, sound engineer Rob Spate, Producer Nancy Ferranti, executive producer David Kahn, and me, Jared Blumenfeld. Happy fishing, and don't forget to only buy wild salmon.